You love Chicago history, right? How about trivia nights? If you said yes to both, I have good news for you. You can test your knowledge of the greatest city in the world at the first ever Chicago History Podcast Trivia Night on Tuesday, August 2nd at 8 p.m. at Lizard's Liquid Lounge on Irving Park Road in Albany Park. Hosted by me, Tommy Henry, it is sure to challenge even the most hardcore Chicago history nerd. Teams are limited to five players, free to enter with drink specials and prizes awarded. Details at chicagohistorypod.com. We'll see you there. If you know where to look along Chicago's lakefront, you can find a mermaid. Once you've done that, if you are really patient, persistent, and have a keen eye, you can find treasures from Chicago's past that wash up along the shoreline. Today we're talking about the secret mermaid of the lakeshore, and later we'll be talking to Christine Solorio, an urban beachcomber based here in Chicago. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. There is a YouTube version of this episode. If you prefer all the visuals, just go to YouTube and search for Chicago History Podcast. While you're there, please subscribe to the channel. Back in 1986, a group of Chicago artists collaborated on a guerrilla art project that more than 36 years later continues to amaze those who know where to find it. How did this all come about? Well, writer Paul Daling at 1001 Chicago Afternoons interviewed sculptor Roman Villarreal in 2014 to get the whole scoop. In 1986, Villarreal was showing his works at an art show in Hyde Park with artist Jose Moreno, who was in town from Mexico. The two discussed collaborating on a piece that Villarreal had in mind and enlisted the help of fellow artists Fred Arroyo and Edfu Kanjinga. Villarreal's vision was of a sculpture of a mermaid by the lake. According to Villarreal in 1001 Chicago Afternoons, quote, A mermaid is not political, not social. Nobody could get mad at us for making a mermaid. The four artists soon found a spot to work in Burnham Park, just north of 39th Street along the lake. They plan to use one of the large breakwater limestone rocks used as revetments to keep the shore from washing away and transform it into art. Villarreal later told Chicago Sun-Times writer Nancy Moffat, quote, We said this would be a beautiful place to do a series of sculptures for the next 10 years. Roman Villarreal's 15-year-old daughter Melinda Garcia Villarreal was convinced to model as the mermaid and the four artists got to work. Over the course of roughly nine or ten days, the artists arrived early and worked until late until their sculpture was completed. Broad daylight, right in front of everybody, Villarreal shared with Paul Daling, because something about Chicago, nobody asked too many questions. Quote, We were into our fifth, sixth day that a police lady for the first time, she was having her lunch, a coffee, and spotted us, and she walks over and goes, What are you guys doing? But by that time, most of the mermaid was already out, and she goes, Oh, that's beautiful. Who commissioned you? And we're going, Well, this is kind of like a project on our part that we just want to kind of help 
beautify the lakefront and we're just kind of, you know. And she left us alone. She congratulated us. And after a while, another police officer came and another one and another one, but nobody ever really said too much to us. The result was a seven-foot-long mermaid lying on her side with flowing hair and carvings of waves on the side of the rock. They called it Serena, Spanish for mermaid. Villarreal told writer Nancy Moffat they made up a myth about the mermaid. According to Villarreal, quote, We wanted people to think that she snuck in from the sea, lay down, and went to sleep, and became petrified. According to Villarreal, when the water came up and hit the mermaid, it would cover her, and when the water went back out, the mermaid came back up. The group talked about getting together every year to do a new piece, but as it often happens, life got in the way. The artists drifted apart, and La Serena ended up the group's only completed artwork along the lakefront. Those who lived in the area or walked the beach knew about the mermaid, but for the most part, it remained largely a secret. Fourteen years later, Chicago Sun-Times writer Nancy Moffat detailed a planned eight-year, $325 million revetment restoration by the Army Corps of Engineers in her December 6, 2000 article. The discovery and the origin of the mermaid on the rock was a mystery at the time. The Chicago Park District had no idea where this mermaid sculpture came from, and a search in the city's public art records turned up nothing. Was it landfill from a demolished mansion? Was it the work, as writer Nancy Moffat wondered, of a forlorn lover with a chisel? No matter where it came from, the planned construction work by the Army Corps of Engineers would require La Serena to be moved. After seeing the picture of the mermaid that she modeled for in the paper, the mermaid model and daughter of the sculptor Melinda Garcia Villarreal called the paper to reveal its origin. Two days later, Nancy Moffat printed the follow-up to her origin story with all the details of the secret mermaid. While there was initially talk of building the mermaid into the new revetment wall, someone must have thought better of that. Instead, in 2004, La Serena was moved to a Park District storage facility. In 2007, a group of students worked with the artist to restore the mermaid. Once restored, it spent time at Bessemer Park near 89th Street and Muskegon in South Chicago, sculptor Roman Villarreal's home community. One more move was in store for the not-so-secret anymore mermaid, this time in 2010 to Daniel Burnham Park at Oakwood Beach, just south of 41st Street, where it remains today. Strangely, this piece currently rests tipped on its side. It's too heavy to be the work of vandals, so I can only assume when workers placed it there, maybe they didn't know how it should lie, or maybe it was left that way to better protect La Serena from the elements so that visitors can enjoy her for another 36 years and beyond. Now then, let's talk beachcombing. My guest today is Christine Solorio, who is one of Chicago's urban beachcombers. What is an urban beachcomber? Well, you're about to find out. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Tommy. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your connection to Chicago, all that fun stuff. Well, I was born uh, in Chicago on the north side. I spent my early childhood uh, in the city. 
uh, moved out to the suburbs uh, for a good 20 years, raised my daughter. I always worked downtown and it was always my dream to live uh, downtown in the city. When I was a little girl, I watched that show, That Girl, <laughs> kind of, that kind of was revealing my age, but um, it was just always my dream to live in the city and be kind of a city gal. And uh, when my daughter went off to college, I uh, made the move downtown and I've been down here now for about 15 years. And um, I guess my dream came true. So the reason I uh, the reason we're here today, of course, is I found you on social media. You are an urban beachcomber, and quite frankly, I was unaware of what that was all about. But we traded a couple of messages, and I thought this is um, pretty fascinating. So, tell us what urban beachcombing is, and and how you got into it. Well, urban beachcombing, um, you know, I call myself an urban beachcomber just because I live in a major city. Beachcombing is a hobby. Um, there's beachcombers all over the world. Oceans, lakes, like myself, the Great Lakes, um, big towns, small towns. In the UK, Seaham is really just an ex- spectacular bucket list place that I would love to go someday. So it is a worldwide hobby. Um, but I refer to myself as an urban beachcomber just because I live in a major urban area um so that's just kind of you know how i describe my my um hobby but uh, i i basically (laughs) scour the shorelines of lake michigan for historical uh treasures and uh, i find uh, quite a bit of uh, interesting things (laughs) Uh, i gotta know how did you get into this and boy how long have you been doing it Well, I've been doing it for uh, about 12 years. I started doing it. um, I traveled down to Mexico to a little island called Isla Mujeres uh, quite a bit. And it's a thing that a lot of visitors do there. And I just kind of casually would beachcomb on my vacations and always looked forward to it, found some really, you know, amazing beach glass and, and other things. And I was at dinner one night and I uh, talking to a friend about beachcombing and there was someone sitting next to me from Chicago. They happened to overhear that I was from Chicago and they said, you know, there's a uh, good beachcombing on Lake Michigan. And I'm like, really? I'm like, I live right downtown and I've never, I ride my bike on the lakefront all the time. I've never really noticed. And when I got home from that trip, I couldn't wait to get out there and just uh, started looking around and it was there. It was just there all the time. So that's really when I started to become a lot more serious about uh, the hobby and almost obsessed. (laughs) Now, how long did it take until you found something that you thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can't wait to get this home and clean it up. Or I don't know what you do with these things. I would say, you know, once I started going out, you know, in Chicago, which by the way, I find what ended up finding way more better things here in Chicago than Mexico. So it just kind of motivated me to keep looking. I started doing a lot of research. I started learning more about beachcombing. Um, I started following really good beachcombers from around the world and learned and read books and um, realized that uh, there's the potential because of the history of Chicago and all of the historical events that were really focused on the lakefront that I had a really good chance. So I would say, you know, about five years 
five or six years into it, I found my first marble. And that's kind of like the holy grail. And I kind of became obsessed with finding the marbles. They're the vintage gay marbles, like from, you know, the 1920s, 30s um, that the kids played with. Uh, you know, that was the, the, what they did uh, back then. On my quest to find more marbles, I found like a boatload of other really cool historical things. So there's hardly a week that doesn't go by that I don't find something that I can research and find a really cool story. It sounds like after all these years, you've gotten pretty good at, at you know, spotting stuff, which is amazing. I have uh, the patience for maybe four or five minutes when I'm looking for my car keys before I give up. Uh, so the fact that it took you five years to find something worthwhile uh, is pretty impressive. And you post a lot of pictures of marbles. I had no idea what the deal with marbles was. I didn't know if, you know, I can't imagine kids can play marbles on the beach because. Yes, there's so there's people in this hobby that have been beachcombing and they say, you know, for 20, 30 years that have never found one. I've become quite good at spotting them. And, you know, I'm really lucky because Chicago just has so much history, Um, you know, particularly the 1933 World's Fair. I mean, there was a, you know, amusement park that was dedicated for children. The people, the parents just dropped their kids off there for the whole day. And there were exhibits with, you know, from marble companies and the kids, you know, it cost 10 cents for like, you know, a bag of marbles. And uh, they just played with them right there on the lakefront. So, um, you do have to have that history. You're not going to find marbles like down in, you know, Florida. Um, you know, the, the conditions aren't, aren't right. But because the entire Chicago Lakefront was built on landfill, as you know, and you've talked about that in your other episodes, and I'm sure your listeners know that, they are found in, in the garbage, too. And then, you know, it, they just kind of erode out into um, the lake. And my quest to find marbles, my obsession... I call myself a marble hunter. I'm kind of known in the beachcombing world for finding them. I have found a lot of really other great stuff. So, (laughs) Marble hunter, by the way, the worst superhero ever. (laughs) That's all they do, hunt marbles. What other items have you found out and about? I, of course, know the answer to this, but for uh, people just listening who don't already follow you obsessively on social media like I do, where uh, what else have you found? Well, I um, have found... uh, just for example, we were talking about the World's Fair. Um, this bottle here that I'm showing is a sample uh, liquor bottle, and it's a um, made by Hiram Walker, um, which made the Canadian Club whiskey. And they actually had an exhibit at the 1933 World's Fair. And not only did they have an exhibit in the fair, they had a bottling line at 16th Street, which really is just down the street from me. And these were the sample bottles from the fair. Um, so was- for people uh, who li- are just listening uh, and not watching the YouTube version of this, it's kind of an amber colored bottle, maybe four ounces, I'd I- say, but it's yeah. an amazing shape. I cannot believe how I perfect. Three- I have three of these. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you found all of them kind of in the same area? Pretty much. Wow. Uh, within a five mile radius. Tell me about the pipe that you found the other day. Oh, yeah. This is this is probably one of my oldest finds. This here is a clay pipe. It's broken up. I mean, but 
it's just based on the style of pipe, mostly this little piece here. I was able to date it back to like the mid 1600s. <laughs> it is it is pretty amazing. Again, for those it's, of you listening, it it's uh, maybe two and a half inches long, and yeah. uh, it's it's a very basic pipe. I'll have pictures of it up on the social media pages for the Chicago History Podcast. But again, amazing. I know you found uh, medicine bottles and you know a variety of items. It's it seems rare that a week goes by that you haven't found something that you're showing off. Uh, lucky. I'm I'm very lucky in my beach coming. I work very hard and I'm very persistent, but there is some luck involved. Well, let me ask you, so how many days a week and at what time are you doing this? And are there um, uh, well, weather factors that you need to take into account? Yes. Um, well, I try to, I, on average, I get out, uh, you know, I would say four to five days a week, uh, year, all year round. Um, winter and fall are my best uh, hunting seasons just because the lake uh, and the currents and the waves are just really, you know, whipping up and bringing stuff in from out in the lake. In the summer, in the height of the summer, when the sun's coming up, uh, you know, at a little after 5 a.m., I'm on the beach at 4.45 a.m. Wait, there's a 4.45 a.m.? Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I, I have a job, so I, I mean, I have to, you know, uh, adapt to... Yeah, you got to get that out of the way before you can... Uh... Get get the, get the money, pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, so I try to go out early. Um, I'm just naturally early riser. Um, so I'm usually out on the beach, you know, in the summer by 5 a.m. And on the weekends, you know, I will put in a good four, five or six hours of hunting. And sometimes, and I ride my bike. I, I don't own a car. I'm a real city gal. And I uh, bike the lakefront. And some, some days I log 20 miles on the bike. Good way to stay fit and find marbles. <laughs> yes. Now, do you bump into other uh, uh, beachcombers while you're out and about? Do you like recognize people from passing or are you kind of a, a solitary gal? Um, I, I usually hunt alone. I, I, I just like it. Um, I, I really am very like laser focused on the on the ground and in the water. I mean, I just really cannot be distracted. <laughs> so I, I do ha like to hunt with friends from time to time, but you end up usually talking and carrying on and then you're missing stuff. So um, I do like to hunt alone. And in the summer tends to bring out other beachcombers, um, especially at the public beaches. Um, I, I go to some off the grid spots where there's nobody um, that goes there as far as I know, not when I go anyway, I never see anyone there, but um, I do see a fellow beachcombers uh, in, in the summer. Um, there's some etiquettes and uh, rules, I guess you could say, uh, just, you know, common courtesies. <laughs> um, you know, you just don't want to like back up to people and, you know, when they're searching a spot. So, um, but in general, it's a very friendly uh, hobby, but it can get competitive. I told someone that I was going to be talking to you, the urban beachcomber, the, and, uh, the question was, oh, are they out there with a metal detector? And I thought, oh, I'm sure there are people that do that, right? That you see along the beach with, you know, they're looking for dropped, you know, items of recent worth, I'm guessing, or coins or whatever. But but you're not using a metal detector. You're using your own tools, though, right? Yes. Um, I mean, I have like a hoe that I carry with me. I also use as a walking stick to help me on the ice in the wintertime, chip out ice, uh, finds that I might find that are frozen into the ground. Um, I have like a strainer scoop when the water is very calm. I go in the water 
so I can spot things and scoop them out. Boots and 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 footwear is very, very important. Um, you can't go out on flip-flops. You got to have really good sturdy shoes, warm shoes, boots in the wintertime, lots of layers, good gloves. So there's a lot that goes into it. I, I spend a lot of time and money uh, to have good gear because uh, it helps me stay out longer. The, the you know question that I get asked a lot is like, how, why are you finding all of these things? You know, and, and I mean, and in a word, it is history. It is history. Well, it's fortunate that you live so close to, again, the landfills where the World's Fair was, all of the stuff that was dumped along the uh, the shore to create Grant Park and beyond. Uh, that's there was no EPA back then. Boy, howdy, there was not. <laughs> Um, how can people uh, see what you do? They can follow you on social media. How can they? How can they follow you? Yeah, I have an Instagram account, Shy City Beach Gal. I post most of my finds on there, and you know, some of my city life. Um, I really love Chicago. I'm really like humbled sometimes when I'm walking along the shoreline, and I'm I'm just walking on all this history, and to just find these items that were belong to somebody, you know, are just really, it just really kind of blows my mind sometimes. Well, and certainly when it's Hiram Walker bottles from almost 90 years ago from the World's Fair in, in 1933 slash 34, that's pretty amazing. And the fact that it's basically just been sitting there for 90 years. It's, I know. Uh, and a lot of the stuff I find is in really good condition, um, surprisingly them. You know, if you saw that lid that I found over the weekend that I posted from the J. Um, Parker Prey, um, who him and his wife, Mary Cobb, after, you know, there was so much writing on the, I'll pull the lid up, um, this, this little milk glass lid here. And there's, you can't really see it, but there's quite a bit of writing on there, which, you know, is like, you know, you're going to be able to find out, you know, the story behind this. And that's really exciting. But it, I mean, this it says established 1886 in here. Yeah. And turns yeah. out that him and his wife brought manicures to the United States. His wife was trained in France and French manicure and brought that technique here. And they invented the emery board. Now, when you bring this stuff home, do you make a list of where you found it or do you just kind of pile it up and remember? I just kind of pile it up and display it. Yeah, um, that's probably what I do, too. I don't know I, if I'd be really good about writing down like, oh, I found this at 14th Street or, you know, on Northerly <laughs> Island, something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's very cool. I probably well, should have done that. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> ne- never too late to start after 12 years of doing this, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Christine Solario, it has been a pleasure talking to you. I encourage everybody listening to follow you shy city beach gal on instagram it is a great follow and uh, i learn a lot every time you post something because every time you hold something up to the camera i go oh now i gotta find out all about this so it's nice when you do the research for me though that's much better <laughs> well i'm i'm really uh, thanks for having me and um i'm glad to have you as a follower and i've been really enjoying your podcast well now i'm <laughs> blushing but thank you so much and, and i gotta tell you as you uh, discover more and more stuff uh maybe we can have you back on i'd love that wonderful christine thank you so very much you're welcome
Thanks for listening to this episode about Chicago's secret mermaid and urban beachcombing. This episode was researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. Special thanks to my guest, Chicago's urban beachcomber, Christine Solorio. I have learned a lot of history just by following her Instagram posts. If you have questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, you can leave me a voice message just by going to chicagohistorypod.com and clicking on the microphone in the lower right corner. Depending on the content of your message, I may play it on a future episode, so keep it clean. The mind-blowing art for the podcast you see used on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages was created by the fertile mind of John K. Schneider. If you need art for your project, reach out to John at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. And the next time you're walking along the beach, don't forget to look down. You may find a part of Chicago history right at your feet. As always, learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe. <laughs>